Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on November the 17th, yeah 17th it is today, 2010. Newcomers look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, there's lots of audios for download and lots of information in the audios where I try to give you shortcuts really, shortcuts, uh, because if you go through all this stuff yourself and try to start from scratch, it's like reinventing the wheel, uh, why bother when there's so much uh, material already out there for you to follow and you can either accept it or, or deny it. It's up to yourselves. So or go off in a different direction with it, as some people do. However, the big boys made it quite plain, the kind of world they wanted to bring in an awful long time ago. And uh, we're dealing with one of the biggest organizations, in fact, the only organization I would say on the whole planet that really directs our lives and the cultures and shapes societies, integrates societies, regions across the world to what they call the Great Society. That's what the New World Order really is. It's the Great Society, the big idea. It's another term they use for it too. Lots of names for the same thing. And um, as I say, I give you shortcuts to it. So go into the website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Remember, they all have uh, transcripts too in English of a lot of the talks I've given for Prince Up. And you can find transcripts in other languages for Prince Up if you go into alanwattsentinel.eu. And that's also shown on the com site as well. And bookmark the other sites because sometimes I get a problem sticking with the, the main one, uh, com site. And if you find sticking downloads, try these alternate sites that are listed there. These are the official sites. So hopefully you'll have no problem in the future should the big ones go down again. That's why there's so many up there already. And remember too to buy the books because you're the people who keep me going. Uh, go into cuttingthroughmedias.com and see the books I for sale. They're different from the usual His Stories, and that's what His Story is. It's His Story. Who was being the authorized His at the time gets his story told, and uh, that becomes the mandate. That's how we're, we're taught history. It's authorized history. That's why you get authors. They're called authors for a reason. They're authorized to tell their story and His Story, and everybody gets a little gold star if you parrot it well and believe in it too. And, of course, it really shapes the mind of you and everyone else and how you all think about the past, especially when it's all fake. It's an awful shock to find out when it is fake and what isn't fake. It happens all the time. And you can buy these books of mine, which help to wake you up because there's techniques written into it to make you think in different ways that you didn't even know you had, because there's many, much more to learning and thinking than just reading off books and parting it. You have to be involved in it yourself. There's many different ways to understand language itself. And I try and show you that too through symbols and different techniques which are in the books. So you can purchase them. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember your personal checks are good. The same as U.S. international postal money orders are good to Canada. PayPal for order ordinating is good as well. Just send the appropriate donation. You'll see the prices in cutting through the matrix.com. 
and follow the donation up by an email with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. Remember, you can also use MoneyGram, Western Union. You can use PayPal to order or donate, as I say, across the rest of the world too. Western Union is kind of steep, I think. The MoneyGram is cheaper, and it's cheaper still. If you don't want to wire MoneyGram, just get them to write you a check and post it. It takes seven days, but it's about half the price or less than wiring it out. And some of you will just send cash too. That comes through as well for the present time. And as I say, we here we go through the, the history that led up to the stage we're in. See, the New World Order isn't just a, a thing that happens, and that's the final thing done and over with, and a flag is hoisted. It's an ongoing process to indeterminate goals, goals which are always changing to the future. They call it progress. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. The big society, the big idea, uh, the good life, there's many different terms used for the same thing. And in the early phases, they often called it the good life. But what they really meant was a scientifically run society, an ordered society where the unfit wouldn't breed. Eugenics is a big, big part of it. And um, depopulation was a big part of it, still is a big part of it today, very big part of it, in fact. And I've gone through the histories on this particular show I won't go through them again to do with eugenics and uh, the organizations and foundations which funded a lot of the, the big programs in eugenics in the U.S. and Britain and elsewhere. But there were big, big players. And, yep, members of the aristocracy, the Huxleys, all these guys were involved in eugenics. They were fascinated by the idea that science eventually could create the perfect society through tinkering with genes and so on. But they also wanted to bring in a society where people would be forbidden, certain people would be forbidden to have children. They thought that the idea of mandatory sterilization was a very good idea for certain people, and uh, that was picked up upon, of course, by the, even the Soviets picked up on that one, and so did the Adolf Hitler. It's quite amazing how old this uh, particular agenda is. And you'll find it even in the writings of Blavatsky and uh, Anna, Annie Besant that took over uh, that they'd bring in a new society, this wonderful new society, this socialistic ordered society where science would take over. It's always the same thing. Science would take over. And, of course, we go into uh, guys like Charles Galt and Darwin, who wrote The Next Million Years, who furthered that and, and said that scientists and technocrats would, would be the ones who would rule on behalf of the dominant minority. Huxley tucked on that too, uh, the, the, touched on it, the, the dominant minority would always be above academia and the technocrats who would just kind of run the public in a Sovietized type fashion. And uh, that's the system we're in today. Uh, they said democracy was too cumbersome. Uh, it really stopped progress. There was too many bickering parties and self-interested parties and factions. Therefore, to, to get the big idea and the, and the program across, it'd have to basically train the public gradually into a new system so cleverly too that they wouldn't they wouldn't know they were no longer in a democracy and then you go into the club of rome a big think tank for the united nations who also said the same thing uh, they said that uh, democracy is too cumbersome has to go 
has to go. And believe you me, it has gone. As you're well aware, I hope, out there, that's well, you're well aware that it has gone. And then you get the big, big organizations that are also part of this, that you think of as merely um, the kind of right-wing type ones working with the left, like the Council on Foreign Relations. Quigley himself, the historian for the CFR, said, we're often mistaken for communists because, and why? Because their ideas and their agenda were exactly the same direction as communism. And then, of course, going deeper into that, you find out, sure enough, the big boys and the big bankers funded communism into existence. The dialectic is always used between left and right, up and down, to come out at the same goal. You end up on the same road at the end. That's the fascinating thing about this. And we're given many false debates, many false arguments to chase our tails with and keep us busy. We're given lots of um, counterintelligence put out there too. Why would they allow you to run away with the, the Internet without giving you uh, counterintelligence to tick you off in circles into the stars and and creatures that should be made into shoes and belts and stuff like that are supposed to be kind of humanoid, if you get my drift. Um, this is all counterintelligence to mix fact with fiction and ridicule the fact. That's a simple tactic with it. And it's interesting, too, that Professor Carl Quigley said that the group, the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, which is just the American branch of the Institute for Royal Institute for International Relations in London, he said we... We're often mistaken for communists, he says, and we have no aversion to working with them. That's what he said in Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American establishment. And they do. They work with dictators, communists, and whatever. Communists are very good because communists are really the, the main organized group in the world. Communists are very dedicated to what to do. The, the far lefties are very, very dedicated. And literally, and George Orwell showed you the mentality of them in his book, 1984, that communistic mindset of, of training and, and um, the, the ability to take a new idea that totally contradicted yesterday's idea and, and spout it out as though you'd always believed it. Well, that's how the communists are. And if we go into a deep freeze, you'll find the same thing with um, the climatologists who basically are all part of the socialist left that, that used to be called communists. That's why they use them all because they, they want uh, an ecological scientific group to run the world exactly as the Soviet system wanted to. And they have the ability to get told we're going into a deep freeze and immediately pirate that, so they did never mention global warming. That's, that's the mindset of that type of personality. I've met quite a few of them, and it's always astonishing to listen to them prattle off the party line. And what I realized, too, in communism years ago is that there can be no dissent. When the t- it was all from the top down, what you had to say, what they had to believe, and when they told someone the, the, the latest line, it was like a robot talking to you. And you look in their eyes to see if they really believed what they were saying, and, and they would be hostile, very hostile, uh, against even a challenge of, of uh, basically countering them or questioning them on it. That's the type they've got running the IPCC at the United Nations for so-called climate change. Now, as I've toned it down to climate change. And um, last night I was sent a link, on an audio link, from the ABC.net Australia by, um, by Will in Australia. And it's an interesting audio. I'm going to put the link up tonight after the show at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. 
And listen to this. This is for journalists, a journalistic panel debating the new way they will report news about climate change to the general public. It's fascinating. Fascinating to listen to them. Now, you remember me talking uh, two months ago when the IPCC at the United Nations um, said that they were going to work differently and train journalists to put it across uh, the whole climate change agenda across in a different way to the general public. Well, you see, they're already doing it. They're already doing it, and they're all on board. But when I listen to this bunch of so-called independent, free-thinking journalists talking, uh, I thought it was, I was listening, listening to a Communist Party meeting. I'm not kidding about it. Because every tactic they use, smear campaigns on their enemies and so on, nasty name-calling about their enemies was used. They actually had, um, they had a, a loathing for Christopher Monckton, who was given exposure on Australian television and radio. And Christopher Monckton knows his stuff. He just put out facts, figures, and so on. He didn't give his opinions. These guys tried to say he just gave his opinions. And from now on, they said they're not going to report people's opinions and climate deniers' opinions. You see, but they called him all kinds of nasty words. These wonderful independent reporters. So you have to listen to this because you're going to find you see the same meetings with your own journalists in each country as going on at the same time. They must have consensus. You understand consensus building. They, they actually put out people from the UN and the big think tanks. You know the charitable foundations that run the world. They put them out to go around just building consensus so they all talk with one voice. An old idea, they use it in politics too when they come out and use catchphrases like weapons of mass destruction. So no matter who they're talking to, you'll hear weapons of mass destruction. Well, it's the same idea where the journalists on climate change, uh, you'll hear the same party line toads, regardless of how ludicrous it might sound with the, the, the deep freezing weather we're going into. Now, as I said, I put that link up, the audio, but I looked into this group of journalists, and it says here about Australian Centre for Independent Journalism. And it says, the Australian Centre for Independent Journalism reporting, this is what they're reporting uh, to, and they're reporting uh, at the Munster Forum, they call it the Munster Forum, Climate Change Munster Forum. And it says, this is what they said in this audio, the scientific consensus about the increasing scale and urgency of climate change has made journalism's commitment to traditional concepts of fairness and balance obsolete. I hope you heard that, right? The scientific consensus about the increasing scale and urgency of climate change has made journalism's commitment to traditional concepts of fairness and balance obsolete. So you're not going to get a fair and balanced um, uh, journalistic uh, opinion on anything, you're going to have the scientific, the, the authorized scientific version. That's actually mentioned in the audio, that that's all they're going to report from now on. It says the Australian Centre for Inde- Independent Journalism, what a joke, eh? Uh, aims to stimulate the production of high-quality journalism, no quit kidding, especially investigative journalism, to conduct and support research into journalism and the media to contribute to scholar debate and research about journalism and to promote community discussion about the relationship of journalism to political, social and cultural democracy. So we're getting it from the far, far lefties who are, I'm not kidding, these people are radical. They really believe in what they're up to. 
They believe that any lie is okay as long as they can get their ecological society brought in. You know, very little um, factories, very little this and that. They truly believe that mankind's the worst plague on the planet, these characters. Especially the lesser types, the ones who don't have the jobs like journalists do. It says the center's a non-profit organization, no kidding, based at the Broadway campus of the University of Technology, Sydney. And activities of the center include publications of investigative journalism, precision of resources and reference services, continuing education for practicing journalists, and research in journalism, and yada, yada, yada. Now, that's one little bit about this particular group that's on the audio. And I'll go into another one here, too. And it's got... Actually, I'll hit it when I come back. And that's quite something to read. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and cutting through the matrix talking about this particular audio out over the radio in Australia and how these journalists have come to consensus that they should only report the scientific side of things uh, from the IPCC at the United Nations and, uh, and never bother with uh, any opposing points of view which are just simply unscientific, you see. So they've all agreed on that. But who made up this panel of independent journalists, eh? Well, it was headed off by this one here. You've got uh, Anne Henderson Sellers. Uh, no relation to Peter, I don't think. He had a sense of humor. But it says here, um, Australian Research Council Prefer- Professorial Fellow in the Department of Environment and Geography of Macquarie University. In other words, she makes her living off this stuff, you see. Professor Anne Henderson, double-barrel name, Henderson Sellers, uh, was a director of the World Climate Research Program in 2006 and 2007. Well, she's very fair, isn't she? And she would represent a good side of the story. And was a director of the Environment Division at ANSTO from 98 to 2005. She was a deputy vice chancellor of research and development of the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology from 96 to 98. Prior to this, she was a founding director of the Climatic Impact Centre at Macquarie University, where she continues to hold a professorial in physical geography. Professor Henderson Sellers previously led the WMO Project for Intercomparison of Land Surface Parameterization Schemes, which operates as an international internet-based collaboratory. She recently led the Model Evaluation Consortium for Climate Assessment, called MECA, I would love their names, eh? M-E-C-C-A, analysis team. She also acts as a consultant to the United Nations University on various aspects of the impact of climate. Very impartial person here to be involved in this little debate there as she laid down the parameters of where they were to go in the talk. So that's one of them. And then we've got Sarah Clark, ABC's National Environment and Science Correspondent. You understand, every radio station, every television company, every newspaper has their own correspondent now in the environment. In other words, these are the, 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 the hack ones who couldn't get a job writing anything else. And it's so safe to write on this stuff, the, the handouts that they get handed all the time on greening, 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 and so on, that uh, they've got a lot to lose if this whole thing goes down the tube. So they're very impartial, as you know, very, very impartial. 
So she's the National Environment and Science Correspondent for ABC. It says she's uh, the ABC's National Environment and Science Correspondent, reporting for both ABC radio and television. She's travelled extensively around Australia reporting on the environment and the impacts of the drought and climate change across a number of programmes, including ABC's 7pm News, Late Line uh, Report, Foreign Correspondent, and across Radio News and ABC's flagship Radio Current Affairs programmes, AM, The World Today, and PM. Her brief is extensive and covers climate change, space exploration, that's certainly where she is, water issues, drought, and future technologies. Recent assignments include covering the United Nations Climate Conference in Copenhagen. She's well in there, isn't she? A trip to the Arctic Circle to visit an Inuit village in northwest Alaska, living in a vulnerable and changing environment. Oh, there's a woman with guts. An assignment in the Antarctic alongside a team of scientists and ongoing coverage reporting on the state of the Murray-Darling Basin. So she gets to travel an awful lot, South Korea, Pacific Islands, the Caribbean, South Africa and Chile, reporting for the ABC. So that's another one that attended this, is on the audio too. Then there's Ben Cubby, who's the environment editor at the Sydney Morning Herald. Well, again, he's a very impartial guy. He'll give you impartial news on the environment, obviously, since he's also making his his living off it. He's associate professor, um, uh, there's Philip Chubb, associate professor of journalism, Monash University, and the link's up there for that too. Uh, Philip's career as a journalist combines leadership positions in print, television, online media with publishing, business and communications technology. Then he goes through his history as well. And uh, he's obviously well up there and got lots of friends in high places uh, in, the right, in the right kind of clubs, you might say. So he also was making his living on this as well. And... Uh, it's quite fascinating to realize that everyone who's slanged anybody at all, and you should hear the words in this audio, you'll hear the words that they call um, anyone who they call climate deniers, you should hear the names. All they can do is resort to calling them names. That's standard left-wing policy. Because you cannot attack the reasoning of certain people who've come up with their science. Never, not, not only that, they never mentioned all the hundreds of scientists who left the IPCC because they wouldn't go along with lies. That wasn't mentioned at all. wasn't mentioned at all. Quite something. But you understand that's happening in every country. They all get on board. So anything that you read, and I hope you always understand this and never forget this, never ever forget this. Whatever you read in any mainstream uh, journal or newspaper or magazine, it's got consensus with the reporting to do with climate change and other social topics as well. Because it's a big world agenda here, and these people are all getting highly paid to make sure that you get the kind of news they want you to believe. And it certainly is anything but impartial and fair and balanced. But in, in this particular group, they have admitted they can't do fair and balanced reporting. It was just too imperative to save the planet, etc. And so they'll only give the official announcements from the IPCC. There's fairness for you. How's that for an agenda? Huh? And you think you're living in a free, open, democratic society? Back with more after this. You're 
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. This uh, system we're going into, we're actually really into it, well into it. The, the youngsters are already into it through their conditioning and indoctrination in schools, starting at kindergarten, into the Greening Society, sustainability. They're all part of the Millennial Project, Agenda 21, all the names for the same thing, really, where we're going to live under an ecological scientific grouping or dictatorship in little community areas within regions because there'll be no more nations at the end of it. That's always been the big plan. And, of course, uh, all the groups at the top, all the opposing groups that you think are opposing, uh, the, the far left, the far right, the, the corporations, uh, and so on, uh, are, are all part of it. They're all in it together, using the dialectic to bring us into it. Because they, they all agreed long ago that this is the way they were going to take the world. And as I say, you can go into H.G. Wells' book, uh, A Modern Utopia, and you get glimpses of it even there, as far back as when he wrote that one, with the help of his masters, of course, who financed them. But uh, he was also a mouthpiece for the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Fabian Society. The Fabian Society was just a group created by the Royal Institute for International Affairs to manage the left-wing radicals to make them really push towards a utopia, thinking it was going to be a, a wonderland for the worker. All run by the elite, of course. Just look out who the, who the founders were. But regardless, as I say, they're all working together towards the same road to bring you all back onto the same road at the end of all the fighting. That's how the Hegelian technique works. And to be honest with you, too, they've already set everything up around you. You're already inside a cage. You've got all these different organizations working right into your local level and on your local councils. Uh, they're, they're, they're handing out... Uh, um, different um, agendas to even your roads and works departments and all that kind of stuff. Wherever you happen to live, you're all going to do, with, it's all to do with sustainability and um, austerity is, is now tied in with it as well, budget cutting and so on. And in Britain, they're a little bit ahead of the U.S., they've already announced the, the, the big society and commutarianism has been put into action. They've trained the leaders years ago under Common Purpose. This is this particular group called Common Purpose, who will be the local commissars pretending to speak on behalf of the public and the people. And uh, they'll eventually have to go as a, as a part of a region to the World Bank to borrow money. That's what will happen to all of your little communes. You'll have reps that get sent over to talk to the big boys and decide how much cash you're going to get and what you're going to give back in return for it because nothing is going to be free. Nothing is going to be free. You understand that countries themselves, as they've been for a long time, are really, each country, each nation is a business. Collectively, we are all one big massive business for the bankers and the, and the taxations and all the rest of it. doesn't matter how many businesses comprise it. We are one big business. That's how they view us. And that's why they're bringing carbon taxation, eco-taxation of all kinds as well through the World Bank and uh, through the Rothschild Bank before it gets to the World Bank, of course, through carbon credits and so on. This is to take over from the, from the country, the nation as a business, which they loved, uh, to the next system, which should be easier for them. They've got the whole world uh, with regions in it, and they can tax the, each individual directly 
to this world system. It's far better for the big banking boys who will always be in charge, uh, being the, uh, the dominant minority. And what they're doing in communitarianism is also saying, oh, look, the government can't handle these, these big, big budgets anymore. There's just too many people and there's too many much debt uh, as they pay off more money to the bankers. They're still bailing them out, you know. And, um, and the bankers are still giving out their billion-dollar bonuses to their pals. But regardless of that, which we all know, uh, what they're going to do is, is, is so-called decentralized governments as they do away with a nation-state. That's the whole idea, De- decentralization, and put you down into your little regions with your so many communes inside each region. And you'll have to deal with the problems yourself. Now, here's an article here on that. It's from The Guardian, which is as far left as you can imagine. They're all for the IPCC and, and the other, their own environmental um, push as well for this uh, ecological society. That means everything has to come under economics and sustainability, you see, in the planet and, and population reduction. That's what they mean by ecological society. It says here, ministers, plants, politicians plan to give personal care budgets to one million elderly people, right? So when you get sick and you're elderly, this is what they're going to do for you. It says, elderly woman sits in a room at a nursing home lost in thought. The government plans to quadruple the number of elderly people with personal care budgets from the current 250,000, which they're trying out. It says, uh, social care can no longer be left to the state. But it was everyone's responsibility, you see. It's everyone's responsibility. I wonder if it's the banker's responsibility, too, and the, and the massive profits. They rake in. I guess they're exempt. So the minister said today, when the government announced a white paper next year, on how people should fund help in old age. Uh, Paul Burstow, or Burstow, the Liberal Democrat Care Services Minister, announced several measures, the most radical being the plan to put a million people in charge off their own personal care budgets, against the current 250,000. Now, this is, is the same technique they used in business uh, quite a few years back where they were handing out um, uh, sort of status reports. You go in for your, for, your, for your status report every month or so and they'd, you'd fill in, they, they, your boss would say to you, how do you think you've measured up this, this week and so on and they'd tick you off for assessments and so on. And then when they wanted to, to cut down or, or downsize, as they called it, all the firings, downsizing, it sounds better, doesn't it? Uh, psycholinguistics. Then they, they would actually hand the form over to the person and you would have to justify why they should keep you at that work. The idea being is you were ticking off your performance. You say, oh, gee, I'm not doing too well, am I? And then you'd feel responsible. And at the end, he'd just sort of look at you with that, you know, and put the hands out. And you'd say, yeah, yeah, you're, you're not too great, are you? And so you would leave. They wanted you just to leave and pack up feeling terrible with your tail between your legs as a failure. Well, that's what they're doing to you now. You're sick. You're old. This is what it's costing Here's the lump sum. You deal with it. You deal with it. And then you're going to have the elderly saying, well, I need this and I need that. Or maybe I shouldn't really have. Maybe that's, maybe, that, maybe that's taking money from other people who need it too and making them feel guilty, you see. But it says here, other measures include £400 million to support holiday breaks and hobbies for carers and an expanded role for the voluntary sector. You see, the voluntary sector to get heavily involved in this as well. Personal budgets can range from a few hundred pounds to £50,000 a year. They allow the elderly and infirm to buy services such as home help from charities. Now, why are you buying anything from charities? 
because these charities ain't charities, folks, never were, or private companies, but they've been controversial. While the idea was introduced in 1996, it has proved a hard sell to the public, with the Audit Commission last month warning that people were fraudulently claiming the cash. Well, that's a red herring. Bristol described the ideas as part of the coalition's big society project, with individuals taking on responsibility for their own lives. Personal budgets give people choice, control and independence, he said. They look to people, not the state, to shape services and improve outcomes, making a reality of the big society. Well, maybe at the end, if you're not pennies, you can hire one of the recent immigrants and he'll do a voodoo dance for you and clear up whatever's making you sick. It might be quite cheap. But I'm not kidding you. This is what they're going to They're going to make you feel guilty at what you're costing the state. They're already using the same technique in the, in the U.S., by the way. Uh, in the U.S., if you had your big insurance plan, if you, when you work for a company, the, the insurance companies are now posting back what, what it costs you or cost them for you to go to the doctor and have this test and that test and so on to make you feel guilty about going to the doctors so you won't use your insurance. Same technique getting used. It says, however, there were concerns that the money earmarked for social care would be swallowed up by the 25% cuts to council budgets announced by the Chancellor in last month's spending review. Do you understand I'm talking about a totally socialized country already? This is totally socialized, completely socialized country. It says, care packages account for up to 55% of local authority spending, a central funding for schools is accounted for, and there are concerns that the extra £1 billion made available by the government in last month's spending review is not, re, uh, wrong, not ring-fenced, whatever that means. So they're going to make you feel guilty, and lots of older folk will think feel guilty, and they won't claim this and they won't claim that. Or they'll say, well, I'll do without that pain medication, and I'll do without that. Maybe someday will need it more than me. That's what they're hoping for. They use psychology in all of this. So that's what it's about. And then, of course, they'll start, once that's underway and under swing, they'll start reducing uh, the amount they'll give out to each people every year. The same way as they're going to start reducing your rationing, once introduced rationing, uh, coming from the, the world, the United Nations, which is scheduled, by the way, eventually, to dish out the food to the regions. And they'll start off with something that won't have you all grumbling. And then two or three years later, when you're used to it, and you think it's always been there because that's how fast most folk adapt, They'll say, we can't give you as much as you, it's been a bad crop across the world, and you will get less. And it's up to you as how to get rid of the excess population. That's what they've actually said, by the way. This is the real world we're living in. There's nothing but deception out there. Nothing but deception. We are already in the scientific society, run by the scientific society and the technocrats. You've been in it for a long, long time. And you've never had a free independent press in your lives. Never seen it. Never seen it. One of the guys who helped set up this part of the scheme I read from last night, and that was Lord Bertrand Russell, a guy who admitted in his biography he went over to China uh, back in the 20s to to start getting communism taught in the universities because eventually they were going to make it a communist country, so they sent a British lord over to do it. Interesting, eh? Anyway... He talks about the coming society and how it would be and how they'd bring it in. He says, he says here, I fear that the place for splendid individuals will be much more restricted in the future than the past. Apart from 
this purely personal opinion, it's easy to imagine ways in which the world might acquire a scientific government, such as I am supposing. Now, what do you have on, in the US and in the Britain's governments? They've appointed science czars, the whole teams behind them. You don't vote these guys in. You see, it's already here. It's been here for quite some time. It said it is clear that in the next uh, Great War, uh, Europe will go to pieces. Uh, probably the, the population will be halved and the surviving half will be in a condition of anarchic despair. In these circumstances, it will rest with the United States to make the world safe for plutocracy. The world safe for plutocracy, folks, is the term they use here. What's the U.S. doing now? It's flattening the last few uh, cultures who will not go into the system to standardize the world. He said an essential step in this process will be the acquisition of a considerable measure of control over Europe, where they've already, they've already integrated it completely. It says Dawes' plans and young plans, more drastic than those imposed on Germany in recent years, will be imposed upon Europe as a whole. Scientific experts will be employed to make Europeans work and to introduce the most up-to-date organization and technique. You better understand the word technique. It doesn't mean what most folk think it is. American Marines, uh, it says, will occupy the site of what had been London, if need be, he said. Uh, and skyscrapers will be erected over the ruins of St. Paul's. In this way, a world government will come about, in which the power will belong to great plut- plutocrats, but will be largely delegated uh, by them to experts of various types. It may be assumed that the plutocrats, having become soft, will gradually become lazy. So that's the same as the Marxist doctrine. And you thought that came from left wing, didn't you? It says, like the Merovingian kings, they will allow their powers to be usurped by the less lordly experts, and gradually these experts will come to form the real government of the world. I imagine them forming a closed corporation, regulated partly by opinion, so long as their government is challenged, but chosen later on by means of examinations, intelligence tests, and tests of willpower. The society of experts, which I am imagining, will embrace all eminent men of science except a few wrong-headed and anarchical cranks. A crank to him was anyone, just like those uh, journalists, who opposes the official point of view. It will possess the sole up-to-date armaments and will be uh, the repository of all new secrets in the art of war. Now, he's talking about all war. That's war of the mind, all kinds of wars. There will, therefore, be no more war since resistance by the unscientific will be doomed to obvious failure. The society of experts will control propaganda and education while they already do. They already do. It will teach loyalty to the world governments and make nationalism high treason, right? For the harder thinking, it says here, and make nationalism high treason. You're there already, folks. That's why the UN was set up. They said that the greatest enemy was the individual and nationalism. It says here, the government being an oligarchy will instill submissiveness into the great bulk of the population. Well, that's what you've been getting trained with since 9-11 happened, 2001. Give up all your rights for freedom and say, or for safety. Give up all your rights and uh, utter, utter uh, penetration into everyone's lives. No privacy. You've been trained already and most have accepted it. Now it's normal. It's normal. We're adapt very quickly, as Darwin says. So we'll instill submissiveness into the great bulk of the population, confining, confining initiative and the habit of command to its own members. 
The only ones who will have initiative and, and command will be its own members. It is possible that it may invent ingenious ways of concealing its own power, leaving the forms of democracy intact. And that's what you have. You have this appearance of democracy or even republicanism, appearance, but really they're all working behind it all, doing the real work, you see. Ingenious ways of concealing its own power, leaving the forms of democracy intact and allowing the plutocrats to imagine that they are clearly or cleverly controlling these forms. Gradually, however, as the plutocrats become stupid through laziness, they will lose their wealth, it will pass more and more into public ownership and be controlled by the government of experts. The government of experts. We're at that stage now. Thus, whatever the outward forms may be, all real power will, power will, co- will be uh, concentrated in the hands of those who understand the art of scientific manipulation. That's where you are. That's where you are already. That's pages 2, 3, 5, 6, and 7 of the scientific outlook. That's how far we've come. Most folks don't think they're living in some kind of democracy. Meanwhile, you've got the technocrats running all over the place. You have all these appointed scientists with their boards telling presidents and prime ministers what to do. Setting up communitarianism everywhere. It's here under many names to bring in this new uh, war to save the world, to save the planet, to save humankind against all kinds of terror, including eco-terror and all the rest of it. See, we're here already in all of this. We're here already with all of it. And most folk don't know. They still think we're back in the 1920s with all the rights and so on and so on. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and there's three callers just popped up and I've got, I'll take, I'll take the long distance one, Paul from Australia. Are you there, Paul? Mate, how you going? Hi, hi Alan, mate, how you going, mate? Not, not too bad, yeah. Oh, that's good, that's good. You know, a little bit about what you were saying about before, Alan, about uh, the, all the debt and stuff like that. You know, I was thinking to myself, uh, with China, with the amount of uh, uh, debt that China has bought, uh, you know, with America not being able to really pay it, because as you know, you don't borrow money to get out of debt. Isn't that right? You know, you yeah. can't borrow your way out of a, uh, yeah. a debt situation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking, how are they going to come and collect it? Because don't you reckon that Ward, because like Alex Jones said on his show a, a little bit of time ago, about how the American government gets money uh, for every single soldier that's killed. They get a cut of money from that. That's right. And I was thinking about China, you know, if they're not going to get their money, they'll come and collect with um, blood money. Do you reckon that's a possibility? It's a possibility if they were authorised outside of China. China doesn't run itself. Uh, China was a creation of the big bankers of the West and uh, and the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They've been working with um, the, the Institute for Pacific, Pacific Relations for 50 years to bring China up to the stage it is now. And this, these guys are based in London. They run the CFR. They, they run the European Parliament. Uh, they run everything now. And uh, no, China is not its own master. Don't, don't believe that for a second. Yeah. 
Oh no! I tell you, when a country rises up, it's the same with Brazil and India right now. They, they rise up when the United Nations, through all their various organisations, tell the the big uh, foundations to get on board, and then they, they lobby all the big corporations to invest in those countries. That's how the money comes in. No country can pull itself up by its own bootstraps just like that. That's right. Yeah, and and China back in the thirties was a a third world country. And yet, um, there's Bertrand Russell over there teaching communism because he says we've got to get a communist revolution over there to standardize the country. And then you find that the Royal Institute of International Affairs was talking about building China up to be the manufacturer of the world uh, in about the year 1970 or so. And, and they wrote that back in the 1930s. Uh, these guys do world long-term planning. And as I say, no country will pull itself up without the injection of cash and all the agreements through the World Trade Organization that gives them all the freebies. That's why China doesn't have to pay any pollution taxes. They have no penalties to pay on the chemical waste and, and, and the polluted rivers that they do in the, the Western countries. And all the factories that moved to China were paid by you, the taxpayers in Australia, Canada, uh, and America, to move through the World Trade Organization. We paid them. They're moving. They're setting up, retooling. And we pay their losses for the next 10 years until they start making a profit. And if they say they're not making enough profit based in China because of the move, they can extend that period for 10 more years of paying no taxes. Wow. Uh, isn't it true that uh, only federal, only federal uh, government people only pay federal, uh, it's only supposed to be paying federal tax if you're a federal employee, mm-hmm. and that the, the usual citizen doesn't have to pay federal tax? Well, we shouldn't be paying taxes at all. But the fact is, he has got the, the big gun as the boss, you know, and uh, that, that's the bottom line. These guys don't go by uh, rules they draft up. They go by force. Government is force, remember. And the legalities are just something to keep us rather pacified, thinking we have a chance in rule of law. If they're out to get you, they get you. There's no doubt on that. But thanks for calling in from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me, your God or your God's school with you.